You're listening to Ketchikan Church of the Nazarene. Um, if you want to flip to Matthew chapter 28, we're going to start and theoretically end there, but we'll see what happens. Um, we are in the last of our series, uh, Engage, which is kind of our vision casting series for the year, where we are learning that our purpose for this church for this year, the focus, the thing that we are essentially going to spend our time and energy on this year is engaging our faith one more step. So it might be that you are going to engage your faith, become a church member. We learned about biblical church membership that God wants us to be part of a local church. That's a thing in scripture that he says, yes, do this. And it gets the two thumbs up from Jesus. So maybe that's the step that you take. You commit to church membership. And if you are interested in church membership, Bob mentioned it earlier. We have a membership class coming up on the 23rd at noon and so you can just come here and join us and learn there's no pressure but we'd love to teach you a little bit about what we believe and who nazarenes are and how they're different from other denominations and hopefully help you find a, a home uh here at this church so membership is one thing um and then we talked about group life simply meaning that there is a large group of people in the capital c church everyone who loves jesus is in the capital c church all over the world but it's really hard to have great relationship with people who are on the other side of the world. And so we're put in local places where we have a local church like this, and we love each other and we hang out together, but we have a hard time becoming very intimately um, friendship related to people on a 100 level, 150 level uh, congregation. And so we go smaller, right? And so we have small groups where there's 10, 12, 15 people, and you really get to know people. You get to know what makes them tick, and you get to know what makes them laugh, and you get to play practical jokes on one another, and you pet each other's dogs, and you share meals together, right? And you hug each other's babies, and it's just a wonderful kind of life experience. And Jesus says that we are best lived in the Christian community in a small community. So we have the greater corporate church, but there is something very holy and wonderful about a small group community where you can actually pray for one another and meet each other's needs and um, actually serve the community together uh, without like red tape of a church, but you can just see a need and go do it as a small group. It's phenomenal. It's just a smaller picture of the church where you get to be more intimate with one another. And so you've got church membership. Jesus gives that a two thumbs up. He says, yes, do this. Okay. And then you've got small group life. And Jesus tells us all the way through scripture, this is really how the church grew and thrived. So yes, do this, be part of a small group. And then today we're gonna to talk about the third aspect, which is um, even sequentially getting smaller. You've got church membership and then you've got small groups and then you've got this idea of mentoring, okay? And that's what we're gonna talk about today. This kind of um, relationship that you develop with one or a few people that grows you to be more like Jesus. Now, we have this idea in um, modern American Christianity, which is false. Let me just say it before I begin describing it. This idea isn't right, okay? But this is kind of what has seeped into our idea of Christianity. And then there are three types of Christians, um, and only one of them does anything. So the idea of this is you get a, a new believer, right? A convert, they give their heart to Christ, but they can't do anything because they're a new believer, right? They barely even own a Bible, right? So they come and they sit, their bumps on a log, right? but they come, they love Jesus. That's good enough for them. At some point along the line, a convert somehow miraculously becomes a growing Christian. 
right? They're, they're baby Christians. They're growing. They're learning. Maybe they're attending Bible study. They have a Bible that they're growing, but they aren't capable of getting back yet, right? Because they haven't been in the church long enough and they don't know enough about stuff and all this, you know, stuff that we, we place on people. But then suddenly, miraculously, that person becomes a mature believer, right? Just, it's like that, right? And suddenly that mature believer is capable of leading and teaching and bringing people along into maturity. And the way that the American church has kind of gone the route is that um, nobody wants to claim that they are really in that third category because everyone claims they are in that growing category. I'm not quite ready yet. I can't take any uh, responsibility. I can't. I can't lead anybody anywhere. I'm not. Gosh, I'm not even there yet. So how can I take someone somewhere if I'm not there? And so we end up with, in American Christianity, a place where there are lots of Christians, but nobody's really mentoring or discipling anybody. Because nobody actually wants to say, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I am enabled to lead someone somewhere. I may not have all the answers. In fact, I'm pretty sure I don't. But that's probably the first place a mentor should start. I don't have all the answers. I will offer you what I do have. And so we need to get past this idea that you as Christ followers don't have anything to offer anyone else. Because if you are a Christ follower, if you claim Jesus as your Savior, that um, he died on the cross in your place for your sins, he died and was buried and rose again to give you grace and eternal life, okay, then, if you claim that and all the benefits that come with being saved, you also, likewise, equally get to claim the responsibility that Christ gives Christ followers, which is helping build the kingdom of God. And so, this is where we flip to Matthew chapter 28, and you can flip there, starting in verse 16. You guys will find this passage fairly familiar. It's called the Great Commission, and it happens... Um, uh, Jesus happens to have just risen from the dead and he's talking with his disciples um, and he gives them this great vision statement for the world. This great commission to change the world. Okay? And it reads like this. Now the 11 disciples, remember there were 11 because Judas, he had some issues. Okay? Um, they went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had directed them and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. I think this is important. I think that this is in here because God wants us to know that even the 11 struggled with doubt. Okay? They literally spent three-ish and a half years with Jesus. Jesus. Okay? They saw everything Jesus did. They heard everything Jesus said. They saw him die and come back to life. They are face-to-face -face with the risen Messiah, and yet some of them doubted. I think it's okay as a Christian to doubt every now and again, okay? It's okay not to have all the answers. It's okay to not understand something, okay? Even the 11 struggled with that. And Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And don't stop there. But teach them to observe 
all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even until the ends of the age. Now, we use this passage a lot for missions, right? So on pretty much every missions t-shirt ever made ever, right, is the Great Commission. Go into all the nations. And this is what we use as a missionary statement. And we think of it in terms of global missions because it talks about going into all the world. And there's nothing wrong with that at all, right? I think it's great. We should, like Jesus says, go into all the world and make up all the nations Jesus followers. I think that's fantastic. However, we negate our personal responsibility as Christ followers in our local community when we think this is only global missions and this has nothing to do with discipleship and mentoring. Um, this is so much more than just converting people. This doesn't say, go and teach people to love me and then leave them alone and never tell them anything else about the kingdom of God. Rather, this says to every Jesus follower, make disciples, baptize them, and then teach them to live a godly life. And that means you have to be involved in their life to do that. That means you have to actually spend time with them and talk to them about Jesus things. It's not enough that we simply bring people into the kingdom of God and leave them as converts, never telling them the beauty of holiness, never telling them the beauty of um, serving, never teaching the, the, the joy of generosity. Um, if we leave people simply at Jesus died for your sins, people are missing out on so much of the kingdom of God. Okay? And so we, as Christ followers, are being commanded by Jesus to teach people, to disciple people, to mentor people in all the things that he has commanded. That's a lot of things. It's going to take a lot of time to mentor a lot of people, okay? So here's what we need to know about mentorship. Um, and, and these were slides, but at least they were simple, so you can remember this, right? First of all, it's biblical, okay? Um, this idea of mentoring or discipling, and you can use them interchangeably, but I think people freak out sometimes about the word discipling. And so we're going to use the term mentoring today, right? But they're interchangeable. It's biblical. Jesus says, teach people, right? So if Jesus tells us to do it, then we should probably do it, do it right? Okay, so this is, this, this is pretty straightforward message this morning. Jesus says, disciple people, mentor people, teach them about me. Don't just lead them to faith in me and then leave them wondering what the heck they're supposed to do with the rest of their life. Lead them to understand who I am and then help them live a life after me. Because you have been in the faith longer than them, so you have the ability to teach them a little more than they know. Now, you may only know three more steps ahead of them, but that's okay. It's three more steps than they know, and hopefully there's someone who's three steps ahead of you teaching you the next steps to walk so that then you can do them and then teach them to that person. Um, so the first thing that we need to know about mentorship is that it's biblical. Jesus says it, and actually Jesus did it. And I think there's this great formula for life that if Jesus did it and said we should do it, then we should do it, right? Um, and so it's biblical. Now, the other thing that we need to know about mentoring is it's relational, okay? Just three words for us to remember today. We got two of them now, biblical and relational. Relational. Um, if you read... 
the Bible from cover to cover, and hopefully you have, and if you've not, um, I can help you find a, a great Bible plan to read through. Um, one I'm reading through right now, it's, it's absolutely fantastic. Um, if you read through this cover to cover, you will never see the word mentor. Um, and it's because it doesn't, it doesn't exist in there, right? And so um, it, you've got to look for the action, not the word, okay? And what we see in Scripture over and over and over and over again is the word relationship, okay? Or the, the relationship being shown to us through actions in Scripture. Um, we see one-on-one -on -one relationships. We see relationships with one person and a handful of people where that one person kind of pours in their life to a, a small handful of people. Uh, here's a few examples in Scripture, okay? These are mentoring relationships that we see in Scripture that don't use the word mentoring. Um, Ephesians 6, chapter 4, no, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, there we go, um, says, Fathers, disciple, teach your children the way they should go, right? So this is a very simple example that parents, you are mentoring, teaching, discipling, shepherding, encouraging, directing your children to go a particular direction for their well-being, right? Um, and, and, and so uh, this is the base example we see in scripture of parents mentoring, discipling, teaching, pointing their children's feet towards things that are holy and righteous and good. Um, in Titus, uh, Paul is writing to Titus. Um, in fact, Paul uh, mentored Titus uh, to be a, a young pastor. He was teaching Titus the ways of pastoral ministry. And, and he wrote Titus some encouraging words from one mentor to a younger pastor. And he said, um, make sure that um, when you're leading your congregation, that there is a way for older women to take care of and mentor younger women. Right? because older women just have more life experience. That makes sense. And so they would have ways to teach younger women the way of life. Now, the likewise could be said for men. Older men should mentor younger men on how to be good godly fathers and parents and the same for women and all these kinds of things. And you wanna know what? Mentorship could even be practical. What would it look like if someone in the congregation say pastor had no idea how to change oil on their vehicle okay but wanted to learn and there was someone in the congregation who happened to know how to change oil on vehicles they just happened to be really good mechanically and so the two of those people say pastor and um steve okay got together and they started working on cars together right and it was great because pastor was learning a practical skill and Steve was getting an opportunity to hear about the gospel, right? Mentoring, like, it's a relational thing. It's a, it's a friendship that looks for opportunities to lead someone somewhere. Paul, in scripture, he mentored Titus, he mentored Timothy, and a handful of others along the way. All of those people that he mentored actually went on to become pastors. That was his goal. His goal was to find people specifically that were called to pastoral ministry and set them up to lead churches. That was Paul's call. That's amazing. That's why everywhere he went, churches happened. In 1 Timothy, Paul is writing to Timothy, and he calls Timothy 
my true child in the faith. He views this person that he has relationship with like a child. He says, I, I view you like a child. I'm going to pour into you relationship. Now, they didn't always live in the same, you know, zip code. So he was writing letters to Timothy, constantly encouraging Timothy, doing the same for Titus, uh, Titus, and he was encouraging them to grow and to remember what the Lord says and to not neglect the things that Jesus had taught so that they could become mature Christ followers. But at the same time, he was saying, you need to be doing this in your own city. You need to be doing this in your own congregation. You, you need to work yourself out of a job. You need to find another pastor to pastor churches, okay? So there's this idea that it's biblical. Jesus did it, said we should do it. It's relational. It doesn't happen in a vacuum. You don't mentor someone and never have a relationship with someone. It's not, it's not um, a drive-by Bibling, right? You don't, that's not, that's not how you get what I'm saying, though, right? I mean, sometimes we just want to walk into uh, an experience. We see someone doing something that doesn't match anything about what they claim. And you're like, Jesus says, stop it. And then you move on. But all that does is hurt people because they don't, A, have relationship with you. And you don't know what their relationship with Jesus is. And so you really need to develop relationship with people so that it's not a drive-by Bibling, right? But it's a relationship that gives life. You guys know what I'm saying, right? Okay. Um, and so, because I don't know, maybe, maybe I've been the only one that's been hurt like that. Has anybody else been hurt like that? Um, there have been moments in my life where people have used this almost like their personal sword that they, you know, they think that because they know this, and maybe even they're right about the way I was living, but the way it was approached was very prideful, and they didn't care about me. They cared about being right. And that hurts, and that doesn't lead me anywhere closer to Jesus. So we have to approach mentoring in a relationship atmosphere because, and Scripture tells us this, that it is far easier to receive correction from those we love than from someone who has it out for us, right? Okay? And so um, if I need to be corrected and I'm a people and people need to be corrected, then better it come from someone who I know really cares about me and who sees that I'm not the sum of my mistakes, but there is something that can be called out of me in relationship that wouldn't ordinarily be seen. Okay? And I'm thankful for the, for the men in my life who live that way towards me. In fact, every Sunday morning, there's a group of four pastors. I'm the fourth, so there's three others. And we text each other every Sunday morning because we've prayed for each other. We're encouraging one another. And during the course of the week, we check in on one another and we share prayer needs because we are mutually mentoring one another to keep going in this faith, to not give up when ministry life gets hard. When stuff happens, we just keep encouraging one another because we need that. Everybody needs that relationship. Now, we don't, we are scattered all across the United States, the four of us, okay? literally from one end to the other and back again. But we need relationship like that in our lives, and I'm deeply thankful for them. Now, it's biblical and it's relational. But the last thing that this is, is it's intentional, okay? Mentorship is very intentional. Um, a mentor, a discipler, needs to purpose time and energy into this relationship towards the end goal of leading someone to be more like Jesus, okay? 
Otherwise, you just have friendships. And there's nothing wrong with just being friends with people. But as a Christ follower, Jesus has commanded us to teach people what he has taught us. Therefore, in the back of our mind, every single relationship we have should be at some point angled towards the gospel. Otherwise, we are almost wasting that relationship if we are not leading someone to Christ, if we are not leading them to be more like Jesus, if we're not encouraging them or praying for them. Um, think about it this way. Um, I'll go to the parents' analogy. As parents, when you have a baby, yeah, it's wonderful, and you look at that small little package, and you have these hopes and these dreams, right, for what you want for your child as they grow up. And then the rubber hits the road and you get them a little bit older and you start to realize the clock is ticking to when they leave my home, right? So eventually they will leave my home. I will no longer have immense control over their life. And if they don't have certain skill sets, they will not have clean laundry because they will not know how to wash laundry. They won't know how to change the toilet paper roll. They won't know how to cook for themselves, right? And so you know that you've got roughly 18 years to teach them how to do laundry, hygiene, right? Job skills, balancing a checkbook, all of this kind of stuff. You have a finite time of, I must teach them the things that they need to survive in the real world. It's intentional parenting. You don't just hope that when they're 18, they suddenly know how to do all those things. You have to give them an opportunity to try it out and fail. Maybe a lot of times, depending on the skill, okay? And encourage them and challenge them and work with them so that then they are able to provide for themselves, live on their own, not end up in debt, you know, those kinds of things. It's the same way with our intentional mentoring relationships there is a purpose behind our relationship okay and that purpose is to help lead people to jesus um if you look at uh, the relationships in scripture that are mentoring based you look at elijah and elisha um these two i mean independent of one another phenomenal prophets i mean powerhouses in the old testament uh, for the authority of God to the nations. I mean, their lives are amazing. Read their stories in 1st in, in, in and 2nd Kings. It's just so great. But Elijah mentored Elisha. There was, it was a unique experience, but it was a mentoring relationship. Elisha learned by watching and being with Elijah what it meant to be a prophet of the Most High God. That frankly, you're going to say things people aren't going to like. They're going to want you dead. They're going to chase you around for a little bit. You're probably not really going to like your life for a while. But you want to know what? It's great because God is good. Keep doing it. And that is what Elisha learned watching Elijah. And so at one point, Elisha was able to say, give me a double portion of this. Right? I want this. But he learned by watching Elijah. And then um, in Exodus chapter 18, we've got this guy named Moses. You're familiar with him. He led the people out of Egypt. But he had a relationship with his father-in-law, Jethro. Um, and this is, this is a great relationship because um, 
Long before Moses ever led the people out of Egypt, he killed a guy in Egypt, and he ran away. Um, and he went to a little village called Midian, and he married one of the daughters of a guy named Jethro there. And so he stayed with that family for a long time, and he, he was a shepherd, and he took care of the flocks and all this kind of stuff. And he lived among his wife's family. He got to know Jethro really well. Jethro got to know him. They had a great relationship. Now, when um, Moses went back to Egypt to lead the people, Jethro was with him through the process and in the wilderness. In the wilderness, there was a multitude of people, conservative efforts, estimates say somewhere between 300,000 and 1.5 million, depending on what perspective you want to take of how many people were freed in the Exodus. Um, either way, it's a lot of people. Okay, So <clears throat> here we have Moses dealing with the problems of 300,000 to 1.5 million people. So-and-so stole my camel. That's my tent area. You know, that's my potty zone, right? Because, I mean, they're in the wilderness and they didn't have outhouses. And so everybody had a problem with everybody else. And when we read in Exodus 18, we read that Moses is going bonkers because there are so many problems coming to him. And this is when Jethro, this relationship, comes up to him and he says, Dear son-in-law, this is not good for you or the people. Um, this is not bringing glory to God. And so I got some advice for you. Why don't you take some people and put them in charge of a small group of people and then take some other people and put them in charge of those groups of people and build layers of leaders that are capable of dealing with problems at certain levels. And that way, the little fires get put out along the way and you just deal with the massive issues that you need to deal with. It will lighten your load and create leadership structure in the nation of Israel. Moses is like, that's a great idea. And so he did that. He listened to his mentor, who happened to be a phenomenal um, uh, leader. I imagine if Jethro was around today, he would build Fortune 500 companies. He had an insane sense for how to build leadership structure, and he spoke his intentional wisdom into Moses' life. Then we've got um, Philip and the eunuch. You guys familiar with this story? Um, Philip is a disciple of the disciples, okay? So uh, the disciples were told, go and make disciples. And then we got Philip, who's a disciple of the disciples. <clears throat> and the Holy Spirit sends Philip on a journey, a phenomenal journey. Um, I don't know how this worked in scripture. It's one of those things I wish I could see, but it just said that the Holy Spirit carried him somewhere and then carried him away, like there and gone. And I don't know how it works. I wish I could see it. All I know is, he then suddenly encountered a eunuch, okay, who was studying the scriptures and didn't understand them. And so he had this moment to be super intentional with the eunuch, where he was able to explain all of the scriptures and Jesus to the eunuch, who then gave his heart to Christ, was baptized immediately, and then Philip was rushed away by the power of the Holy Spirit, and the eunuch went back home to Ethiopia, founded the church, okay? Very intentional conversation that he had. He took advantage of that. He was a complete stranger to this guy, saw him reading the scriptures and said, here's an opportunity for me to talk about Jesus. Can I explain what you're reading? How many times have you been walking past someone reading a Bible at like um, McDonald's or on a park bench? Or it happens every now and again in life where you just see someone 
reading the Bible. Anybody have that? Okay. Have any of you ever stopped that person and said, what are you reading? Because you assume they understand. Why else would someone be reading the Bible, right? It might be, but maybe they're curious. Maybe that's an opportunity for you to talk to a complete stranger intentionally. Say, what are you reading? I love the Bible. What do you love? What's your favorite verse? What are you, can I talk to you about this? And they might actually say, I don't know. Like, my dad told me to read this. I'm confused. Life is bad. I don't understand any of this. This is all new to me, you know? And you have an opportunity to share the gospel. It's an intentional conversation. Um, Paul and Ananias, another great moment in scripture. Uh, Saul, right, is the guy who persecuted the church. Uh, he was the guy who really liked to find Christians and have them arrested or murdered uh, because uh, they, this, this Jesus guy was just outrageous and he didn't like Jesus. Um, but as he was walking along the road to Damascus one day, Jesus decided to encounter him and Paul went, Saul went blind. Um, he was escorted to Damascus where he stayed for a couple days in which he had a vision that a guy named Ananias was going to come, lay hands on him, and he would get his vision back. At the same time, God was speaking to the guy, Ananias, said, go and pray for Paul and give him his vision back. And, um, and then he went and prayed and Paul got his vision back. And then Paul stayed in Damascus with the disciples of the disciples, right? And learned and was taught what it meant to be a Christ follower. Because how great a gap did Paul have to overcome? He went from being a Jew of Jews. He was so self-righteous as a Pharisee, pursuing Christians and killing them, to all of a sudden, now he needs to learn about Jesus and grace and love and forgiveness and mercy and all that kind of stuff. He had a lot to learn about what it meant to be a Jesus follower. And so he stayed in Damascus for a while and he was taught and he absorbed and he learned and he was discipled, right, by the disciples of the disciples. Ultimately, because of that discipling, he became a very astute um, apologist for the faith, one who was able to clearly explain the gospel and compel people to believe. Lots of examples in scripture, but probably the greatest is Jesus and the 12, right? Um, where Jesus picked 12 people that shouldn't have gotten along in any context. Uh, for example, in the 12, there was Simon the Zealot, who um, he really didn't like the Roman government and its authority over the Jewish people. In fact, zealots were actually um, kind of like a terrorist group. Um, they were named zealots for the name of their sword, their little sword that they would carry, uh, because they were extremists. Um, and then you had uh, Matthew, the tax collector, who actually was a Jew who sold himself out to the Roman government. And they, there might be some stabbings in any other context, okay? Just being real. That's kind of how they were. But Jesus said, those differences can be set aside for the glory of God. So he brought together a group of 12 people that ordinarily there may be some stabby stabby. Um, and they came together for the glory of God on a great purpose, right? Um, and Jesus spent three years being intentional with them, um, building relationship with them, teaching them by what he did and didn't do, by what he said and didn't say, by how he handled opposition, um, by the way that he um, loved people endlessly, by the way he touched lepers and all these kinds of things. He taught them intentionally for three years what the kingdom of God looked like. 
And then he said, I'm going to die on the cross in your place for your sins. Then I'm going to send you a helper. And you'll get this in a little bit, right? Then he died. Then he rose. And then back to Matthew 28, where we started off this morning, he says, all the authority has been given to me. And now I want you to go and make disciples. Everything that you've learned for the past three years, I want you to take and replicate. And because those 12, even with some doubts, they embraced the gift of the Holy Spirit. They went out and those 12 made disciples. And those disciples made disciples. And those disciples made disciples. And then the church kind of spread from there. And you go down through the generations and we are literally sitting in this room as Christ followers because of the obedience of those who went before us to turn around and disciple the generation after them. The problem is modern American Christianity says, I don't have to. I can be a Christian, but I don't need to be a disciple. I can be a Christian, but I don't have to mentor anybody. I can come to church and that's good enough. But the Bible tells us, the word of God says, if you are a Christ follower, the Holy Spirit enables you and Jesus commands you to make disciples and teach them what it means to be a Christ follower, which means there is no excuse. As a Christ follower, if you do not have the hand of someone behind you and ideally the hand of someone in front of you, you are missing out on one of the things that God has says leads to life in the Christian worldview. Leading someone somewhere and following someone somewhere is very important. And so the question remains, and we're gonna close with this question, the worship team is gonna come up and lead us. What is stopping you from engaging in mentorship? Why don't you have a mentor? Why aren't you leading someone somewhere? You have something to give someone. Even if all you have is the knowledge that Jesus Christ saved you from your sins, you have people in your life, friendships, people, souls that do not yet know Jesus as Savior. And you possess the knowledge that Jesus died on the cross in our place for our sins and gives us grace and eternal life. You can share that intentionally with someone and all it takes is taking your friendship and vectoring it one degree, right? And then sharing the gospel, looking for those unique opportunities to lead someone somewhere other than where they are. It, it's simple, but not simple. But the beauty is Jesus says, I will be with you even until the end of the age. So the Holy Spirit dwells within you and he will empower you to do this. We're going to go ahead and pray. The team's going to uh, lead us. Lord, um, we are thankful uh, that you, you started uh, your kingdom here on earth with a bunch of 12 uneducated people that shouldn't have gotten along because you showed us that if they can do it, we can do it. And uh, their passion to obey you is inspiring. They poured out their hearts and their lives, in many cases, literally their lives, for the sake of the gospel that others might know who you are. Lord, I pray that you would give us the same boldness today, that we would shake off any excuses that we carry, any fears or insecurities, and that we might true, 
truly embrace the call that you have given to us as Christ followers to make disciples and to teach them. And we might not have all the answers. We might be put in uh, a relationship with someone and they might pose a question we don't know the answer. But you want to know what? We're connected to you and you know the answers. And we can pray together seeking wisdom. And even in that, we are teaching someone the beauty of you and relationship with you. Give us wisdom to look at our relationships through the lens of discipling and mentoring. Give us opportunities to speak life to those who need it, to encourage and to challenge one another. Give us boldness to ask for help when we need it. And also the boldness to turn and see someone who needs help and to offer it. We give you all the glory and all the honor and the praise. And we pray that you would provide fruit in this effort. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. You've just heard a message from Ketchikan Church of the Nazarene. To learn more about our church or to support our ministries, you can visit ktnnaz.org. Thank you.